0: Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. It is Tuesday, November 1st, and I'm your host, Vincent Shen. And with me is Asit Sharma, who is joining us via Skype. How are you, sir?
1: I'm doing well, Vince. Thanks very much for asking. Did you dress uh, up for Halloween? I mention, yeah, I have to mention really quickly for our listeners, um, Halloween was just okay. I dressed up as a werewolf, but a retired werewolf. <laughs> I had to give the kids in the neighborhood some life advice. But uh, they didn't respond that well. They were like,
0: just give me the candy. How about, your, how about your two boys? Did they dress up? Three boys. Oh, three well, this boys. This
1: was the first year, and uh, they're 18, um, 17, 15, and 13. This was the first year that they didn't really dress up, but they orchestrated hiding in the bushes and scaring some other teens that came by and handing out candy to the smaller kids. So that was good to see.
0: Okay, so at that age now where I'm, I'm sure the youngest, too, is probably influenced by his older brothers, where it's like not not cool enough to get dressed up anymore.
1: Yeah, but he's he's on the fence, so maybe next year. And how about you? Had a good Halloween?
0: Uh yeah, pretty uneventful and quiet. For at, for at least a day of. And then over the weekend I was just home with family, which was nice. So not as much dressing up for me either, actually. Okay. So Asit, uh you brought up to me uh the, some of the super trends that we've talked about in previous episodes. Uh, there was customization. Then there was, uh, you know, on the other flip side of that, simplification, SK, SKU rationalization uh, on the last time I had you on the show. So, for our third super trend, um, you had identified in the consumer retail world loyalty programs and their very rapid proliferation in the past, you know, call it 20, 30 years. So, think credit cards. Supermarkets, airlines, restaurants, online retailers. Everyone has kind of jumped on this bandwagon. But I was actually very surprised to learn that these programs have been around for way longer than most people realize, I think. And they did not start definitely with airlines and credit cards.
1: Sure. I was surprised too, doing a little bit of research. Uh, loyalty programs date back apparently to the Revolutionary War period in the United States, both before and after the war. Uh, coins often came into acute shortages. So, uh, folks produced these copper tokens, and you would use the tokens to buy merchandise, uh, just the goods that that, uh, you need to get through the week. And after the coins would resume in circulation, some savvy uh, merchants started handing out tokens with purchases. And after you amassed a certain amount of tokens, you could trade those in for uh, goods. Does that
0: sound familiar? <laughs> that sounds pretty familiar to me. Um, you know the coins that you mentioned. Uh, I could I couldn't believe dating you know, all the way back to the Revolutionary War period. But eventually the coins kind of gave way to other forms of tokens like stamps, uh, box tops, which were still around when I was a kid, paper coupons, and more. Um, so you know I think the more modern age of the loyalty program movement definitely came in or was ushered in with the airline industry. Uh, American Airlines introduced its frequent flyer program in 1981. United Airlines very quickly followed suit. And you know, when we look at these loyalty programs, the core idea behind such an offering is that they get customers to come back over and over again. I think, you know, typically with the allure of some type of reward or benefit. But on the flip side, I think it's really important as investors to look at what these companies get out of offering such a program. Airline industry is a really good example of that, especially in early years you know they uh, they had an issue especially if you think back to flying 30 40 years ago where travel agents dominated the industry uh, they were the ones that you contacted it as a uh, as a traveler as a consumer if you needed a flight for a vacation or for a business trip and the airlines felt very far removed from their own customers, and the loyalty programs or the frequent flyer programs that they uh, created in the early '80s were a way of kind of reestablishing that connection and just to get a much better view of uh, travel patterns, uh, price points, things along those lines. And I think that expansion, that that data element of it, and the insights that it offers into customer behavior is super important and is the you know main driver behind why. Uh, loyalty programs in general have become this huge trend across consumer retail and other industries. Uh, what do you think, man? You brought up so many great points there. Where do I start? Let me let me just start with the main
1: takeaway from what you just said, Vince. Uh, there's an, another term that we use, which is more in vogue in the industry rather than loyalty programs. We call these affinity programs. Mm-hmm. And if you're to look these two words up in the dictionary, loyalty means one thing. It, it means uh, it, standing by somebody, uh, being there for them, but affinity is a little more subtle content, uh, com, com, concept. Sorry. Uh, it means that you have a sympathetic view of something or you have something that you like, you share with somebody, and what you're talking about is the reciprocity between brands and consumers that happens when you have something the uh, consumer can get out of the equation, and on on the flip side, something that the manufacturer or retailer can get out of it. And that's what we saw with the airlines. They increased frequency of uh, flights and made more money, and consumers with those miles were able to travel to see things they hadn't seen before. That's a really powerful uh, reason to show up with an affinity program uh, for your customers. So diving into uh, your second point, We like to look at why things are super trend, once we name them super trends. Loyalty has come up very strongly in the last couple of years due to the availability of big data to retailers. Retailers now can create customized dashboards, and these dashboards don't just give them aggregate statistics, they can drill down right to the personal level so they can look at Asit Sharma and have a profile of his his sex, his age, um, their best guesses at his income and on the same dashboard, combine that with statistics of how much he purchases uh, every week or every month. Most of the companies that are out there offering affinity programs don't do this themselves. They hire third party software companies which specialize in CRM, customer relationship management software to do this, but this is why the trend has exploded and become a super trend because you can really operate on a much more precise level as a retailer and you can then drive the behaviors you want using the data you collect
0: yeah I think the the benefits of that big data and the uh, insight that the customer or the companies get on the customers and how to uh, basically dr- uh, push them to come back and when they're there to buy more or to make that purchase in the first place is very very powerful and its just to give listeners some context into how much uh, this super trend has grown, uh, at this point there are I think over three billion loyalty memberships in the United States, um, and the average American has something like thirteen different uh, is a member of thirteen of these different programs and usually active on about half of those, and so you know if you just look at your keys or in your wallet, I'm sure you can see. Between your supermarket, your credit cards, and uh, maybe uh, some other uh, membership or membership cards that you have, you know, hanging from your keys, you can see that there's a lot of these programs and all across every facet of your life. And the two companies that we wanted to focus on today and what they're doing in terms of trying, and I think in one case catching up to the competition, and the second case kind of using. The data and this loyalty program to recover their business. The first is Dunkin' Donuts. And I think when it comes to kind of a quick breakfast coffee, their bigger competitor, being Starbucks, has really set a very, very high bar for what a loyalty program can look like and also how incredibly successful it can be. So, what has Dunkin' Donuts been doing in its approach to this, to this super trend?
1: Dunkin' Donuts uh, is probably for a long time going to be the red haired stepchild when compared to Starbucks. Starbucks has over 12 million customers in its own rewards program, but Dunkin' Donuts, uh, Dunkin' Brands rather, has uh, over 5 million. And that's actually pretty robust when you look at its smaller f- footprint globally versus Starbucks. Uh, the program itself is pretty simple it's called DD Perks and it combines a physical card with a mobile app, which also has an uh, order head uh, feature, and you get five points for every dollar you spend. Once you accumulate 200 points, you get uh, free beverage. So we want to break down today that type of um, mathematical interchange or reciprocity I talked about on both sides. This is a great example. If it takes you about 40 bucks to get that first reward uh, and you choose a reward of a medium latte, that's going to run you three to four dollars based on the options. So, about 10% of the purchase that you made leading up to that reward can be seen as a discount. So, Dunkin' Brands, through Dunkin' Donuts, is offering about a 10% discount uh, on its products by having you. Come back, but what they've gotten out of you, the customer, is about nine repeat visits after that first one. And Vince, this goes back to a larger stat that I also found uh, doing research in that, uh, on average, retailers, if they have a loyalty program, will get over the lifetime of a customer about 10 times the initial purchase. So some customers aren't going to use their loyalty cards. As you point out, they just stay in the wallet and are never used. Yeah. But some of us are really loyal to the brands we love. So the economics work out on both sides of that equation.
0: Yeah. So You know, I think that the 10% that you mentioned is probably something that uh, I think a lot of people are used to. uh, You know, I think back to a lot of the bodegas when I was living in New York, a lot of these sandwich shops, you go there, you go for lunch, you spend at least a certain amount, call it 10 bucks, and they stamp a very simple card for you that I kept in my wallet. And after 10 of those, I would get a free $10 meal. And it comes down to around that 10%. And I know that, you know, Starbucks recently, for example, they changed the way their program, you built up. Uh, and you accumulated those rewards. And you know there were some, I think uh, some complaints from that, but overall, you know basing it in terms of dollar spent instead of visits is something that allows the company to also just control that uh, a little bit more carefully. Right.
1: And there is a step beyond the basic economics then once you get your program uh, really rolling and have an appreciable membership, which is how does it relate to overall strategy for your company? Duncan Brands has been excellent in the way they've implemented their DD Perks uh, program. They now see it as part of their overall strategy. In fact, out of four pillars, I think it's one of the four pillars, uh, the digital strategy. And I want to quote from CEO Nigel Travis from earlier this year, finally quote. um, He said, our goal is to to provide our guests with targeted offers through our Perks loyalty program that are relevant to them to drive visits and tickets. So this is step number two. Once you uh, incentivize the uh, visits, then you want to drive the traffic further, and you want to target the customer. I talked earlier about that customer relationship management dashboard that a company like uh, Duncan Brands can use, but they want to extend this concept a little further. They have a concept they call one-to-one marketing, which you'll, you'll come across if you're into the retail business, uh, and this means that they want to have that personal relationship with you and be able to activate you when sales, let's say, in the morning rush hour are lagging during the quarter. They want to activate an army of loyal customers to bring those numbers up. So, if you can imagine, thousands of points of one-to-one marketing uh, is how they achieve this. Now, uh, some of our listeners, probably those readers of Wired and other information magazines remember that a couple of years ago it was in vogue to say that email is going away but anyone who participates in a loyalty program knows that email is going to be here for a, a long time because you get a ton of emails from uh, these companies but it's a very effective way for them to activate through text messaging through emails to activate you towards a certain behavior so strategically again get the program rolling and then See how you can architect mass behavior almost at will. That's the end goal for DD Perks. And that's why I think that Dunkin' Donuts has one of the best programs out there in the marketplace because they really think of it this overarching view of mass customer behavior and how that can affect their revenue and profits.
0: Okay, so uh, I want to take our conversation now to our second company. And whereas Dunkin' Brands has I think instituted a very competitive program, even against, you know, uh, call it a very well established incumbent with its own very competitive and successful uh, offering. Uh, We have Chipotle. So, Chipotle obviously has experienced a ton of challenges. We've talked about them on the show previously together uh, in the past year with food safety scandals. And we uh, over the summer, uh, so July, August, and September, they had their temporary uh, Chiptopia program. The, during those three months, essentially, based on the frequency with which you visited the uh, their locations, uh, you could reach one of three tiers: mild, medium, and hot. And each one came with its own benefits. So, going uh, four times in a month, you reach that mild status. Uh, another four times on top of that, medium, and another times on top of that, uh, another four times on top of that. Uh, You reach hot, and I think the big carrot that the they kind of offer to members of Chiptopia were the catered meal for twenty. So basically, you can go if you can reach hot status with the twelve visits. For each month, for the three months of the program, at the end of the program, they will give you a catered meal for twenty, which is about a two hundred forty dollars value. Um, I think this is obviously reserved for the real diehard fans. And with this show today, uh, you know, I was with my brother over the weekend. He mentioned that he had just recently eaten his last free meal that he got from ChipTopia. I think he was a, a regular medium level member over the three months. But you know, seventy five thousand people actually managed to reach that uh, hot status and to get that uh, catered meal for 20. So, 75,000 people, a $240 value. You know, I think the company said over the next 6 months they're going to have to give out about $18 million in free food on top of the approximately $2 million of free burritos those customers were already getting assuming, you know, you're paying about $9 per meal. Uh, and the program overall attracted about six million people, with two point five million actually earning rewards through the program. But uh, what were your thoughts on Chipotle? I think the company recently released earnings; their stock took quite a hit. I think they're down about eleven percent since they released earnings last week. But um, wh- how, what did you think about the program? And and what do you think uh, is this going to be the preview of something they they establish on a more permanent basis in terms of a loyalty program?
1: First, uh, on a personal level, we reached medium status in our household. (laughs) My youngest is a Chipotle freak, and we didn't attain the highest rewards simply because I had to say no after a while. (laughs) But this, I think, is, if you extrapolate this, it's very indicative of Chipotle's approach and how it's very different than Dunkin's. Chipotle started with the premise that we do have this core of really loyal customers. So they weren't trying to build loyalty. Uh, they hit a rough patch with their Novavirus and E. coli scares, and they're still wallowing in a revenue trough, mm-hmm. honestly. so Their proposition was, why don't we go, again, I'm going to use this keyword today, activate. Let's go activate some of these loyal customers, and if you are a casual eater at Chipotle and happen to look at the rewards chart that Vince was talking about, it really rewarded uh, very frequent visits, so it wasn't really just a dollar spend. You had to show up at Chipotle, and what they were trying to do is to rekindle the fire and enthusiasm of their repeat visitors. This is one of the reasons, in the first place, to institute a loyalty program, because it's much cheaper to get a current customer to spend again than it is to go out and acquire a new customer. So for Chipotle, this made all the more sense. And I think this was a tremendous cost that they undertook. I too was really surprised by those statistics, uh, hearing them on the, the conference call. Yet, it's exactly what Chipotle needed to do, which is to solidify, if I can use this phrase in the political season, they, they needed to solidify their base. Uh, and this cost that they're incurring now is really an investment in uh, stabilizing the revenue. And as they add items to their menu, they'll be able to have newer customers come on. But my personal take is uh, was a very appropriate action for Chipotle, and I am gonna make a prediction that we'll see a revival of Chiptopia. It may not be called that, but you'll see this program lean towards rewarding frequency. Chipotle wants you back in the stores. It's a little less concerned near-term with how much you spend. They want you to have that experience so that you begin to build a deeper, innate trust in their product once again which is what they enjoyed before all this uh, food scare came and just walled the, the company
0: yeah there's some absolutely uh, some really good points there that uh, I want to touch on and especially with the idea that uh, of solidifying their base uh, I really like that because in the end uh, the a behavior that they saw in in some of their customer base was they had some real diehard fans and as a result of the food safety scares they some of those dire fans stopped coming. And the idea was hey, let's offer this very attractive uh, program in Chiptopia and bring these people back and basically hopefully reestablishing what was a habit for some of their biggest uh, and most loyal customers. There, I have a quote here from Chief Marketing and Development Officer Mark Crumpacker. And in terms of the loyalty benefit that Chiptopia offered, uh, he said, "...throughout the course of the promotion, we saw increased transaction and frequency levels. But most important, we have nearly returned to pre-crisis levels amongst our most loyal customers. After the completion of the program, we anticipated traffic to fall slightly, but we've instead seen our improved sales levels generally continue to hold, which is very encouraging. So, to, on that loyalty side, obviously, the program, uh, these programs keep or these affinity programs, as you might call, or loyalty programs, they keep the customers coming back. With in this case, the rewards of free food. But on the flip side of that too, he, uh, Mark Crumpacker goes on to speak to the data benefit as well for how the company is leveraging. Uh, some of the the transactional data that it was able to accumulate, and he said by combi- combining the transactional information with other customer data, we are now able to identify more than half of our customers and reach them with specific offers and tailored messages. This important breakthrough not only allows us to target messages and offers to current and lapsed customers, but also allows us to accurately measure the effectiveness of those efforts by tracking return visits. So just like you had mentioned with Duncan Brands, here's a case where. Uh, kind of that one-to-one marketing, and be able to cater uh, your marketing, your promotions to each customer, uh, you're much better able to do that the more you know about them, the more you know about their buying behavior at your business.
1: I totally agree, uh, Vince, and I want to add to that, that the food scare took away one of Chipotle's greatest weapons. It enjoyed extremely elastic pricing uh, before all this happened customers love the product so much, uh, it could consistently raise, in small increments, uh, prices of, say, the beef burrito, et cetera. And that has really been impacted by uh, a decrease in trust and a real uh, reservation of customers to come back. So, fighting in the trenches with your most loyal customers is a way, uh, if you look at a PL and l statement, it's one way to compensate for margins which might be a little squeezed uh, especially we know Chipotle has a higher labor cost a higher food waste component now as it's trying to ensure that they are a place that you can return to with a hundred percent degree of confidence they have to find another way to be able to nudge margin up and this is the beginning of uh, a long process which will enable them to get there this data mining it really, in the future, becomes about volume uh, and margin. And at the point where they can combine both of those, uh, in other words, let's say they have some new menu introductions which there's an uptake of their most loyal customers, Uh, maybe the chorizo continues to become a popular burrito filling or they introduce yet another uh, filling. That's going to be, for them, the same degree of Margin leverage that they had when it was just easy for them to raise prices. So I think there's a lot going on in what um, you just uh, mentioned and, and and the quote that you gave to us. So long-term holders of Chipotle should watch for this. Watch those frequency numbers. I think they'll be talking about them on conference calls for many quarters to come.
0: Yes, and uh, just uh, final takeaways uh, before we wrap up here. I think. In terms of the most recent uh, earnings that came out last week, uh, you know, with the stock trading down uh, double digits since then, some of you probably were very disappointed in the continued double-digit declines for overall revenue, for comparable sales, foot traffic. You know, operating margins are at half of prior year levels. And you, you know, I so said you had touched on those, and I think the ninety-five percent decline in income was probably particularly painful for a lot of shareholders. But you know, there's a lot of potential here as well. In uh, what Chipotle is adopting, and what they're pursuing—you know—you mentioned some of the rising costs with labor, food, uh, food disposal, and waste. But uh, I think they announced uh, about 100 million dollars in cost-cutting measures. And I think also something else that had investors concerned was—you know—they're ending their shop-house kitchen concept. Uh, there's, 50, I think, there's 15 locations in three markets. They failed to gain traction. And a big, I guess, proponent of growth that. Uh, investors believe Chipotle offered was the fact that they could take the success of their flagship chain and apply it to new concepts. But still, the company is uh, still has their pizza and their new burger concepts to pursue. And I think for 2017 in general, the company has a much more positive outlook in terms of comparable sales. You know, their restaurant level operating margins should, reco- should reco- recover. Excuse me, quite well, and they'll just have better comparisons overall as the company laps some of its lows from early 2016. Um, but one more thing, touching on the data, one more quote from uh, from Mr. Crumpacker. but uh, He said, for example, using the data, we now know that during the last six months, we saw ne- nearly 30 million new customers at Chipotle. These new customers are customers we have not seen since before the food safety events of last year. In fact, transactions from these customers account for nearly half of all transactions over the last six months. Additionally, Additionally, we know how many of these customers returned to Chipotle for additional visits, and how many of them became regular customers. I think that kind of information, and that 30 million number, is very encouraging. And overall, you know, despite some of the the, the negative reception from the earnings, uh, Chipotle is in a improving position. Absolutely, following you know their troubles in this year.
1: Uh, I'm of the same mind. Really briefly, you know, how you look at a stock chart uh, that spread out five years and you kick yourself for selling a stock when it was down, or maybe you bought it when it was uh, low priced and, and now it's, it's gone up a lot and you've sold it. The same phenomenon is occurring here with Chipotle. It's very hard to see, with our you know, sort of the trees right in front of us, uh, how many good things are going on in terms of better operations, in terms of the data that we've been talking about in this episode, that they are definitely mining the new customers. Uh, but all these factors will combine over the longer term, and they will come out of this uh, with stronger revenue. And I believe that margins will recover. I want to make one last point, too, about the shop house concept. I, I was sort of disappointed, too, but look at it from management's perspective. Um, I remember management said a couple of years ago on a conference call that, for us, when, when a field manager walks into a shop house kitchen, he or she doesn't see a uh, the shop house, she or he sees a Chipotle. So, it's a matter of finding the right concept and then expanding that one. Investors don't want uh, Chipotle to throw good money after bad. If they find that the concept isn't getting traction, as you said, uh, shelve it. There are a number of other concepts in the fast casual space that they can put their operational model to. and I believe they're going to do that. I'm not really uh, that phased about it long term. I did like the shop house concept. enjoyed eating there. So. Again, on a personal
0: level, that was sort of bad. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's all the time we have today. Thank you very much, Asset, for joining me. Um, any listeners who want to continue the conversation with us and the rest of the Industry Focus crew, uh, you can hit us up on Twitter at, MF at MF Industry Focus, or you can send us any questions or comments via email at full.com. People on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against any stocks mentioned, so it'll buy or sell anything based only on what you hear during the program. Thank you for listening, and Fool on!